0: Hello and good evening I'm Owen the minister of Park End Presbyterian Church and you may or may not know this but we as a church are working our way through the book of Exodus and we've got to Exodus chapter 21 on Sunday mornings and there's some passages in there about slaves and slave masters and having slaves and so uh, instead of throwing it all into a sermon and preaching the world's longest sermon I have made a separate teaching video on this question. What is slavery all about in the Bible? Or why is there slavery in the Bible? Or is the Bible pro-slavery? Those types of questions that we should all have a basic understanding of the answers to if we're Christians so we can help people who've got genuine questions. Uh, One of my friends has written a brilliant quote and it comes to mind in topics like this, and it's this. The Bible is so colossal and world-shaping, even the reasons you might object to the Bible have been given to you by the Bible. That's basically saying that any sense of right or wrong about issues like this essentially comes from Christianity, like all morals are given to us by God. So any sense of justice or injustice about slavery It's essentially a Christian expression that you're feeling regardless. All sense of wrongdoing or humans harming humans or thinking that you're above another type of human. The guidance on that with the inbuilt conscience we've been given is a Christian thing. So the word slave in the Bible can also be translated as servant or bond-servant. There are some differences, though, in it, but I'm bundling them all together because the differences are quite negligible for this type of video. And yes, although the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, delivered his church out of the Egyptian slavery and slave trade there, slavery is not universally prohibited or condemned in the Bible. That's correct. In fact, slavery in the Bible is permissible in certain situations as long as they are regarded as full members of the community and fully human. Check out some verses about that in Genesis 17 and Exodus 23 and Deuteronomy 5 and 12 and Exodus chapter 26, as well as the one that we'll be looking at. Uh, Now, Exodus 21. But just rifling through some thoughts before we dig into that, it's also worth noting that the slavery in the Bible and in the Old Testament is not based on skin color or racial superiority or anything like that. It's also worth noting that Israel, the ancient church, is taken out of slavery in Egypt by God in order to become slaves to God. So slavery has quite a pejorative Well, it leaves a bad taste in our mouths at the moment, and we'll get into why. But the fact that the ancient church was freed to not serve the evil pharaoh anymore, they became free to serve or worship or become slaves of the Lord God. And that was a good thing. We become enslaved to anything we worship, but when that thing is the God of the Bible... It does wonders for humanity. Also in rapid fire, um, slavery among the Hebrew people, the ancient church in the Old Testament, was not intended as a permanent condition, but a voluntary one, offering temporary refuge for people suffering what would otherwise be desperate poverty. We're going to dig into that in a few moments. I'm just mentioning that at the start in rapid fire, so that in our heads... We th- when we're confronted with biblical slavery or servanthood or bond servants, we are not thinking the Victorian slavery in the Western Empire of the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. Full humanity is assumed for every human in the ancient church. And what's interesting is if you do know Exodus chapter 21 the laws about slaves are not under the property section, which they would be in the Victorian idea of slavery. They're in the servant section. Also, there's laws in these chapters of Exodus about what to do with an animal like a bull if he gaws a servant or slave to death. And A bull is to be stoned to death if they are to harm a bond servant. So obviously these people weren't regarded as subhuman, as was the case with um, black slaves. Also, rapid fire, these servants, they had money often and often were in charge of um, large amounts of money in the Bible. And after a time, they could leave if they wanted to although there were laws provided for them if they wanted to stay. So you'll find in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 to 18, every seventh year for the ancient church was a Sabbath year in which all slaves were to be freed. And in the New Testament, you might be familiar with the Apostle Paul. He used to write to churches and say, if you've got slaves um, and they want to be free, let them be free and he would urge slaves to be free if they wanted that freedom, but they didn't always. And we're gonna get into why not in a moment. So let's be clear. The Bible condemns human trafficking. You can see that in 1 Timothy 1.10. Traffickers in the Bible are some of the worst sinners. You see it in Revelation 18. You see it in Amos chapter one, and in Amos chapter two. My friend who's a minister, Uh, called Tim he says this whatever is meant by slave and he says that because you could translate it bond servant or servant this was a slavery where the slave goes free if they were badly treated by the master and they could go free after a number of years anyway and it was more likened to when someone can't leave a job because they owe money to credit card company, a debt company, a a loan company. So it's not the slavery that you might think of during the 17th and 18th century. And actually, it's a lot less ruthless, the conditions than some debt companies and loan companies can be uh, today. Interestingly, by the time the New Testament letters arrived, so Paul wrote a letter to, uh, well, the Ephesians, for example, bond servants, In Ephesus in Turkey comprised of about two-thirds of the city so it was huge employment and they were treated as part of the family but what had happened was the Romans and Greeks had come in by then and they were starting to mistreat slaves a bit like the West Um, has done in modern history. So the Apostle Paul wrote his letters to readdress some of the imbalances coming in, and basically hearkened them back to Exodus chapter 21. For example, cruelty uh, on behalf of the master would result in them being disqualified as masters and the slave immediately going free. That's in Exodus chapter 21, 26, and 27. Interestingly, if you have a look at Colossians chapter four, verse one, because the call from the church there is for masters to provide for their slaves or bond servants fairly, often when a slave was cut loose, it would lead to their financial ruin and lack of security in all manner of areas of, in their lives. So we start thinking now what it was like in the Bible times. And it's basically a person who has lost himself Or herself to debt they can sell only one thing that they have to get out of that problem and that was their ability to work and that was seen as as a loan and in six years anyway that loan was paid off and they are set free that system almost sounds better than a student from college that has racked up so much debt they're in it for the rest of their lives so this type of bond servant stuff and slavery is more like providing security for a person who is in like utter dire straits. Now, in Exodus chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-one, if you've been looking at that chapter, there's a bad translation in English. Here's the bad translation. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two, since the slave is their property we're going to get to beatings of slaves in a bit but that's a bad translation it shouldn't say the slave is their property again because it's not in the property area of laws in the ancient church it should say instead since the slave is their money and it and it's not saying a slave is nothing more than money to people or who the slave essentially is or they're just cash It's in the chapter of like paying off debts and it's talking about that the owner gets money through this arrangement. There's money coming in to the master through the worker. So in that sense it says the slave is their money. If you want to see the value of a slave and who they inherently are... You go to a few chapters later in chapter 23, verse 9, and here's the heart of God for everybody. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know what it is like to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. And the equality that we feel for all humans, if you do feel that, comes because you are made in the image of God who values humanity more than even we do. And the God of the Bible makes no racial distinctions and has a heart for the poor and the needy and the fatherless and the widows. So it's important that we read these verses Um, correctly and in the context of the chapters around them as well and indeed the whole bible now what about these laws for beatings what's all that about so let's have a look at exodus 21 20 to 21 anyone who beats their male and female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result but they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since their slave is their property. So, think of that like this. Consider that many of those slaves or bondservants sold themselves into servitude as those who had lost everything. Now, it wouldn't be beyond a stretch to say some of those would have been lazy people. Bible's clear that laziness often leads to ruin of yourselves and to those that you love and my friend Paul has got a good few helpful comments on this he says this think of it like crime and punishment maybe that bond servant and slave still carrying on habits from their previous life that had led to ruin was stealing money time or resources how were they to be disciplined or punished and We have now the physical punishments, yes, but they had to be measured and reasonable. So the masters, they couldn't treat others disrespectfully or treat them as worthless. So there are measures here for physical discipline. And in fact, that might come as a shock, but it's only in recent culture that even smacking has become not commonplace even in schools that only ended you know in relatively very modern history and has only recently been deemed inappropriate so physical punishment for crime has been a huge part of the human history now perhaps some of you have noticed um, another area that i just want to touch on and that was that there were different rules for female slaves to male slaves. So let's just have a look at Exodus 21 verse four and try and figure out what's going on there. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear. Then he will be his servant for life. So what's going on there? There's a few things there, the women issue and the piercing the ear and joining for life issue. So basically, if the bondservant is willing to walk away from his wife and kids, he can, but that's his own fault. He would then be in defiance of other parts of the law of the ancient church regarding marriage. He also had every right to stay with his family. And regarding uh, the women and children staying back, my friend says this. If we are slaves, then it makes sense that if we want to leave Jesus's family, we shouldn't really be allowed to take with us the things that he has provided. Because all the way through the Bible... Wives and children can be a blessing. So if a man wants to abandon the faith and leave the ancient church, it's a bit like this. For goodness sake, don't take your wife and children with you. Also, if we just turn it around on its head, imagine it wasn't like this. On the other hand, um, his wife, since she is a servant as well, must repay her debt until she can go free. If it wasn't like that, a woman could be quite deceitful by racking up debt and then selling herself into slavery to have her debts covered, only to marry someone with a short time left on his term and then go free with him. That would be cruel to the master who was trying to help her out. So this provision is to protect those who are trying to help people out of their debt. I forgot who wrote that. Uh, paragraph it's in my notes but I didn't write it down sorry so a Hebrew female could be sold into servitude with permission of the father not for labor purposes but for marriage if God approved of the female leaving in six years then her marriage is no longer a lifelong covenant but we know that the Lord God honors the sanctity of marriage So that's why it's important that they stay together. Now, imagine what would happen if that rule wasn't in place. It would mean that the men would have free reign to marry a woman for six years and then trade her in for another woman. And that's never approved of in the Bible. Just on the ears pierced, this is a voluntary decision of a person wanting to align themselves with that family and the church for the rest of their lives. My friend Tim says this, the slave who wanted to stay in the master's house has his ears pierced, a symbolic opening of the ear to hear the master's words. Isn't that our vision of freedom? Lifelong listening to the words of our master, Jesus. Israelites could sell themselves as slaves or bondservants to have their debts covered, to make a wage, to have housing, And to be set free after six years. And there's just one area left to sort of jump in quickly to. We've seen that there's a different set of laws for men and women. There's a different set of laws from foreigners who join the church. Which is the laws we've just been looking at now. And this last area, there's a different set of laws for war captives. Foreigners who have been captured by war and a remaining pagan and not converting to the ancient church if they did they'd fall under the categories of um, rules and laws that we've just covered so what about these like prisoner of war pagans from enemy armies if you see in Leviticus twenty-five, forty-four to 46 Um, A lot of the protection laws that have been offered in the first part of this talk are not to be applied to these people. You can read more about this area in Numbers 31 and Deuteronomy 20 and Deuteronomy 21. And I tend to agree with my friend Paul here that says this. Under these laws, it gave the captured pagans an incentive to want to become a church member because then they would be set free in times of liberty. So think of it like this. This is the heart of the church showing these prisoners of wars, these enemies, which were often evil, a new way. It's like playing them at their own game and meeting the world on the world's terms. Harshness. But it's, they could always join the other set, become part of the life of the ancient church to show them how bad it can be is an incentive for them to want to change and to conclude this i'm going to read a paragraph from the study notes i have on this topic in any case it says before we become too smug we should take a look at the working conditions that prevail today among poor people in every corner of the world including the developed nations, ceaseless labour for those working two or three jobs to support families, abuse and arbitrary exercise of power by those in power, and misappropriation of the fruits of labour by illicit business operators, corrupt officials, and politically connected bosses. Millions work today without so much as the regulations provided by the law of Moses. I hope something that's been said here uh, has been helpful. If not, drop us an email at owen at parkendcardiff.org.uk and we'll get into it a bit more. This was more like a whistle-stop tour on a massive subject, but drop us a line for discussions. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, have a blessed day.